The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Join us online, JackieDaly.com, on Facebook and on Twitter, at Jackie Daly Show. And on demand, this show and all shows, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't ask me what time the show is on. It's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on iHeartRadio app, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Just Google Jackie Daly Show free listening. I promise you, you will find many options anytime. Okay. It's probably true that... Government always, always has a tendency to increase its own power. A person would be hard-pressed to look throughout history to find a government, find instances in which a government worked to reduce its power. At every turn, there are a thousand ways that this encroachment can happen. It can happen legislatively, which is the most blunt force, full frontal assault, or it can happen privately, surreptitiously, over in the agencies where no one is looking either through rulemaking or outright full-blown encroachment, unlawful acts by an agency against individuals that really go unchecked unless those individuals, those Americans in this case, have the ability to somehow fight back and push it back. Most people don't. I'm talking here about when the government moves against you, landowners, let's say, and I'd say the BLM on the other side, I don't know. Most people have no ability to take on a federal government with limitless resources funded by yours truly and everyone else who pays taxes. It's an endless font of funding for an army of lawyers to come after you if you don't have the ability to push back. Okay, well, the good news is here in Texas, there are some people who don't like that. They're down at the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin. You know who these people are. I talk about them all the time. And I've had Rob Henneke, their general counsel and director of the Center for the American Future, on the show many times to talk about the good work they're doing to keep the government off your back and off your land. Specifically, I've told you more than once about the Red River case that they have. It's right up on the Texas-Oklahoma border. In fact, the Red River is the border between these two states and has been since the beginning of statehood and probably before uh, for Texas. And so we have some really good news on this front where the BLM went up against several landowners attempting to take 90,000 acres of their property unlawfully. And Rob Hineke is here to share with us the outcome of that case. So, Rob, welcome back to the Jackie Daly Show. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for having me back, and especially with the exciting news that I can come back and say we won. We won the Red River case. Uh, Just so, so thrilled to begin 2018, knowing that the homes and private property of my clients, land that's been in their their families for generation up along the Red River on the north part of Texas, uh, is now safe from being seized by the Bureau of Land Management. And and as the new year has rolled over, our clients can now look forward to 2018 as being the first year in nearly a decade that they haven't had the federal government literally just trying to take their homes. Right. And so, you know, we don't we don't get enough good news uh, here or anywhere. And so we, when we get a victory, we need to take time uh, to really recognize that and savor that. And and just so people understand, Rob, what exactly went on here for people who didn't hear the first two segments where we described this case. Um, 
just give us an overview. Give us a narrative of what happened to your clients, the landowners, and you know, spelling out precisely who is the victim and who is the villain. And I know as an officer of the court, you probably can't use language like that or don't use language like that, but the glory of being a talk show host is I can call them anything I want. So go <laughs> ahead and give us uh, the download on what happened here. Well, going back... This has been such an interesting case because it really goes back to the very roots of Texas history. And since Texas became a state, even when Texas was a nation, even going back to the Louisiana Purchase, the boundary of what we now know as Texas has always been the south bank of the Red River. And we know what the bank of a river it is. It's where you're standing before your feet get wet. And that is what's been recognized Uh, going back centuries. But what happened, what was odd, was that at the very beginning of the past administration in 2009, the Federal Bureau of Land Management, uh, which manages federal lands all over the country, thankfully not many, if any, in Texas, but had quite a bit of holdings in Oklahoma, just decided for itself that its territory overlapped into Texas, that they decided for itself that when the boundary meant the south bank of the Red River, it wasn't where the river was flowing as of today's date. It was where the river was flowing nearly 100 years ago. And so on their own, they made that decision and then just declared that approximately 90,000 acres of Texas private property along 116-mile stretch of of Texas just belonged to the federal government. They weren't condemning it. They weren't buying it. It was an eminent domain. The feds just said, your land belongs to the federal government. And we got involved. Uh, I'm the litigation director here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and just had the privilege to be able to step in after our clients and the landowners along the Red River had been trying for years to explain to the Bureau of Land Management how they were wrong, uh, showing their deeds to BLM, showing the the history of title, showing the taxes that they had paid. Meanwhile, the federal government kept proceeding forward to, to actually seize and take possession of their land. We stepped in. We built a coalition of landowners of the counties that were impacted of one of the local sheriffs, and we sued the federal government and stopped them from taking our client's land, and here at the very end have battled them up to the point of trial, to the point where we made the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Land Management cancel their surveys, cancel their maps, and agree where the correct boundary is that will protect my client's private property rights for what they have now and also looking to the future. Okay, so Rob, let me make sure that I remember this correctly from our last conversation. My recollection is that the feds were saying to them, sure, the property might have been in in your family for generations. Sure, you might have paid taxes on this property. Sure, you might be living in this house right now, but according to us, you're actually standing in the middle of a river, right? You're, You're actually, this is our land and I bet, Rob, that they didn't offer to refund those generations of taxes, did they? Was that anywhere in the offer to your clients? No, not at all. <laughs> and, and you're right. The, the, the lunacy of this was that the Bureau of Land Management admitted, we agree with you that our boundary is the south bank of the Red River. 
but we're going to say that that south bank of the Red River is actually two miles inside of Texas. And so, Jackie, it's no exaggeration, but, but BLM agents trespassed onto some of my clients' property and went and put federal survey markers in the ground miles from the river, marking the riverbed in what otherwise was just an ordinary pasture with cows walking around, with big oak trees, with deer. And it was their position in this lawsuit that that was the river uh, standing right there where you couldn't even see where the water was flowing. Right. Okay. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a break. And when we come right back, we'll continue the conversation with Rob Henneke. He is the general counsel and director of the Center for the American Future of the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin, Texas. We'll be right back. listening to the Jackie Daly Show, and we're continuing a conversation with Rob Henneke. He is the general counsel and director of the Center for the American Future at the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin, Texas. And we are discussing his latest victory, the TPPF's latest victory, and the, the landowners of Texas' latest victory against the federal government, specifically the BLM, that is the Federal Bureau of Land Management, which attempted to seize 90,000 acres of private property in North Texas uh, on the Red River uh, River Bank, which is the border between the states of Texas and Oklahoma and has been for a long time. Uh, essentially, when the Fed stepped in and, and announced shortly after your former president, Barack Obama, became the chief executive, that they would be taking the land from the Texans, they were very lucky that uh, some benevolent people decided to fund their defense of their property rights because most people would have no ability to even begin to take on the federal government uh, should the Fed show up on your property, in this case, even with armed personnel. If this is not totally absurd, we didn't pick that up in the last segment, but armed personnel on your private property to announce that the land that you have paid taxes on may be passed down for generations in your family actually is not yours. It's part of the Red River. You're standing in the Red River. You think it's your bedroom. It's the Red River. So this was the absurd argument that they made in trying to seize property from the Texans, but they did not succeed because Rob Henneke and team were able to fend off this attack from the federal government. So Rob, that's a quick overview of what we talked about in the last segment. Uh, I think maybe we need to explain why this particular case is so important to people who are listening and what, how this applies to everyone. Because, you know, they might be thinking, well, okay, you got a handful of people, this one, you know, bad action or bad actor within the BLM coming after them. North Texas, didn't happen to me, not going to happen to me. Um, people need to understand the, the value of precedent and the value of, of having scored a win in this case uh, for all of us. Because what could be the implications if, if for some reason the landowners would have lost this case. Well, you're right, Jackie. And, and, you know, not to get philosophical, but it does spin off when we get talking about some of these policy discussions. I mean, think about your home. Think about the, the land that you have purchased, 
that you and your family live in, that you've invested your wealth uh, with many people, their home is the greatest asset that they own. Do you own that because uh, of your hard work, or, or do you own that because government gives you a permission to have property? Well, certainly in Texas and America, we believe the former. And, you know, what we saw with this Red River case was an attack on the very concept of private property ownership. And I want to circle back to one of the things that you said just a second ago about how we fit into this and where we come from. Uh, here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, we're a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan organization. And the reason that we started this litigation center was recognizing that there were so many instances where the government, especially the federal government, was infringing upon the rights of ordinary citizens and businesses, situations where the, the American citizen was completely right, had done nothing wrong, but in many of those situations had to acquiesce because they just did not have the resources necessary in order to, to fight back. And, and thanks to some amazing patriots and visionaries, uh, we've set up this litigation center here at TPPF to be able to fight back on their behalf, to be able to have uh, the ability to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the federal government in defending people's rights and also winning cases that have a much greater uh, significance to you know, the area of setting precedent and, and public policy. But if it wasn't for the Texas Public Policy Foundation with what we do, I, I'm afraid that, that my clients up, up along the Red River in North Texas uh, would have already had to have packed up and been forced off of their lands by the federal government. And that happens all too often uh, if we don't fight back. Right. Well, and so the greater point being when we're talking about what is the value of precedent, um, you know, if it can happen to people on the Red River, it can happen to anyone. I mean, people, you know, I think I think sometimes property rights um, cases, you know, in law school, they try to convince you that that's also archaic and esoteric and well-settled law. And, and you know, uh, in fact, there's, you know, this there's a move on in this country to actually eliminate property rights as a subject matter in law schools. I mean, when I was there, I'm sure when you were there, um, you know, that is your first year basic fundamental uh, instruction. I mean, the bundle of rights that is property, nothing could be more American than that. Um, but, but really, there's been a constant and steady drumbeat to erode property rights. And even the, the more extreme um, socialists call for the complete elimination of private property. And I'm talking about in this country. Uh, something that would have been probably unheard of uh, 50 or 100 years ago, except in the more extreme socialist and communist areas in Europe. Um, so, you know, what is, I mean, if the BLM had won, then going forward, you know, what would be the standard um, for people who would be facing the same kind of fight? I mean, is it is it just a matter of... Uh, you know, they can take they can violate your rights at will uh, in as much as you don't have the resources to do anything about it. Or would there actually be some kind of an intelligible legal standard uh, moved? Well, in this case, it, it would have completely upended private property ownership and rights within the entire state of Texas. Uh, one of the interesting historical facts about this case is that back in the 1920s, 
Texas, the states of Texas and Oklahoma sued each other over where exactly the line was that denoted the south bank of the Red River. You know, where was that precise point? And the Supreme Court in the 1920s came out with an opinion that very clearly and articulately identified where that boundary line was proximate to the flowing waters of the Red River and then created a process in order to be able to determine that. Now, since the 1920s, the state of Texas has adopted that process and applied that process for determining a riparian boundary, which is a boundary along a waterway, to define all types of public lands and private property along riverways and lakes within the state of Texas. And one of the consequences of the Bureau of Land Management on its own redefining its boundary, rewriting the rules, was that it had the potential of changing the standard that has been relied upon all across the state of Texas for the past 100 years. Uh, in fact, in our lawsuit, we had a, a amicus brief that was filed with the court by uh, the Texas Board of Professional Surveyors that was telling the judge, look, this is a bigger issue than just this, these landowners because if the government wins, then it'll throw property rights in Texas into chaos. I think pulling back, Jackie, from an even broader perspective, you did have the overall threat to private property ownership and how it should be concerning to all Americans that uh, without accountability by elected officials, without a vote of con Congress, without really even being directed by, by the president, you had this federal agency on its own just decide uh, to go after the homes and private property of my clients. And if that kind of, of power grab and, and uh, you know, aggressive tactics, you know, are left unchecked, then that's the type of action that, you know, we could see any, any place in the country. And I think the way to keep that in check is by, you know, standing firm, uh, we had a number of great partners that, that worked with us in building the defense of the case and, and holding the line. Well, and so to, to restate, you know, reiterate the point I think you just made, basically the bureaucrats inside the BLM in this case were not stopped even by a Supreme Court precedent that clearly laid out what the law was. They don't feel bound by the Supreme Court. They didn't feel bound by what was 100 years of practice that, that people had relied upon uh, to determine property rights and boundaries. So basically, they're answerable. They think they're answerable to no one. And we know that because this wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. This started back in 2009. You all brought to their attention precisely what the arguments were. It very clearly made the case and pointed this out to them, and they continued to fight. We're now, what, this is 2018 we're doing this segment. It took years I, you know, to to basically see this saga all the way from start to finish successfully. And really, I mean, I'm so glad you won. Congratulations to you and, and all the great things you're doing down there. But really, it's a crying shame that this ever had to happen in the first place and that anyone ever had to be dragged into court to protect themselves just to maintain their status quo uh, and not have to <laughs> to have their rights violated by some bureaucrat they've never seen or known or, or elected for sure up in Washington. So, Rob, I'm going to take a break quickly. And when we come back... I want to ask you what else is going on 
at the Center for the American Future. What are the other controversies that people can follow uh, from your website and get involved with? And by the way, you can always donate to the Texas Public Policy Foundation to defend these Americans and landowners in these cases. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. listening to the Jackie Daly Show, and we're continuing a conversation with Rob Henneke. He's the general counsel and director of the Center for the American Future at the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin, Texas. And uh, we've been talking about the Red River case in which the feds, the BLM, came after landowners in North Texas, attempting to confiscate 90,000 acres of private property by pretending that the Red River has a different course than it actually has uh, under the law. Good news is that the landowners actually won this time because they had the TPPF and others on their side. So continuing this conversation, Rob, um, when you bring together a case like this for, for a group of landowners who obviously cannot afford uh, to take on the feds for years on end, uh, how does this happen? You know, how, how do you find the money? How do you find the people? How do you find uh, people to work maybe pro bono from law firms? I don't know. Uh, how do you get... How do you get state officials involved? I mean, how does this work? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the other people on our side because our success in this case would not have been possible without the coalition uh, that we brought together here at the foundation to to launch this effort. And, you know, one of the things that's neat about what I do here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation through litigation is looking for ways to leverage the resources that we have uh, to fight above our weight, weight class, mm-hmm. for example. And in the litigation concept, that involves reaching out to attorneys, amazing litigators, law firms that uh, have their private practice but are looking to do more with their craft to really make a difference and, and share the same passion for liberty as we hear, have here at TPPF. And in this case, uh, we had an amazing partner actually based out of Dallas, uh, good friends of mine now, but Austin Curry and the law firm of Curry, Caldwell & Cassidy stepped up, uh, were, were connected to us uh, by a friend of the foundation, and, and they said, we want to be part of this. We want to help fight for your clients' homes. We want to make them our client. We want to partner with you on a pro bono basis to, to go win this case. And so they joined with us. Uh, you know, it was awesome effort. And also at the same time, with the relationships that we have here at TPPF, we were able to reach out to uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and also Texas General Land Commissioner George P. Bush and make them aware of this situation. And not only was this case significant for our clients and for TPPF, but what the BLM was doing was actually threatening Texas state sovereignty by making muddying where the, the boundary of the state of Texas was. And so not only did we have Austin Curry and his firm join us as our co-counsel, but we also had the state of Texas led by General Paxton and the General Land Office led by Commissioner Bush intervene into the case as co-plaintiffs 
and we all litigated this case against the federal government together. And it was really that that totality of effort, that, that collaboration and coalition that made us as successful in this case as we were able to be. You know, Ken Paxton's name comes up on this show all the time. It seems like there's so many issues for which he has shown leadership. I see him around. I always I say to everyone in the room, this is America's attorney general. If it, if it weren't for the guys up in Washington, like really Ken Paxton's looking out for all the rest of us as against D.C. and, and you know, protecting states' rights, uh, really doing a service for all 50 states, even though he is, in fact, serving Texas. And um, back when Scott Pruitt was in Oklahoma, it was a real tie between the two of them. Who's doing the most to take on the federal government and keep them in check? So proud of both of them. So lucky to have Kim Paxton here uh, working for us. So, and this is, no, one's, no one pays me to say the things I say. I just say them only when I genuinely mean them. And I, I look up to him a lot uh, for what he's done. And, and attorney generals are often overlooked, uh, but they're critically important when they're doing their jobs, uh, as Kim Paxton does. So, Rob, um, you know, you've won this case. Huge victory for you guys. What is next for the Center for the American Future? Part of what we recognize here is that the government overreach that we are constantly fighting back, uh, fighting back against, did not happen overnight, and it did not happen just with the past administration. Although there was quite a lot of damage that was done, but really, what we try to do here at the Center for the American Future is to claw back the past hundred years of jurisprudence that have slowly eroded our constitutional rights. As we've seen the federal government grow bigger and bigger, and as we've seen more activist judges give, give opinions that have given more power to the federal government, there is so much to be done. And what we see as the opportunity is with litigation to be able to win cases that not just help our clients, but also set that precedent to not just put government back in the box, but to make that box smaller. And so, for example, one of the cases that I'm excited about that we will be uh, arguing in front of the federal district judge on March 2nd is a case that we filed here in Williamson County where we are challenging the constitutionality of the Endangered Species Act to regulate species that only exist in one state. And here specifically, we have this tiny little cave spider species that only exists in Williamson County has no commercial value, but it's regulated under the Endangered Species Act. And we say that that is beyond federal powers. And so we're seeking a court order uh, to declare that. And when we win that case, uh, not only will it radically transform the Endangered Species Act, but it could have uh, huge implications in terms of limiting federal power. So you and I discussed that case uh, in a segment a little while back. So for, for those of you who'd like to hear about this cave spider, because right, they've always got to have cute names uh, and why it's such a big deal. You can actually run a search for Rob Henneke's name. That's H-E-N-N-E-K-E on Jackie Daly Show podcast and find that segment because I thought it was actually delightful and kind of funny. It'd be funny if it weren't true. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to win that one, Rob. And so uh, so remind me, and you, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but I think I seem to recall when I studied the Endangered Species Act, that there have literally been thousands of species of both animals and plants listed uh, under the act, and they seem to never come off the list. Like, the, you would think the, the purpose of this list is, right, we, we then make, make or take efforts 
to preserve these species, restore these species the way that, you know, famously the turkey was, you know, after the depression, nearly hunted to extinction or the elk or whatever. Those were all private sector, uh, private citizen efforts to restore species. But when the federal government puts you on that list, it's almost a guarantee that you're never going to be restored. I mean, I don't, there's so little success under this act. I think maybe maybe once uh, or twice a species has been removed, and, and maybe that's dated information now. But w- what do you know about the success rate of restoring species under the act, Rob? Well, it's abysmal. And the stated purpose of the Endangered Species Act is recovery of species. And you're exactly right, Jackie. Over the past 40 years that the Endangered Species Act has been in law, there have been thousands of species that have been listed for federal regulation, but very few of those species have ever been taken off. And what that begs the question is twofold. Either one, is the Endangered Species Act not working because if its purpose is recovery and species never recover, then we need to ask why. Or if it is working and species are recovering, then why are they being left under the federal regulations that also carry with them very serious civil and criminal penalties that can be opposed on American citizens that might accidentally, uh, you know, bother uh, one of these protected species. So, you know, really what you see is more government and perpetual regulation. And this case with our cave spider could be a way of really eliminating a large number of species that probably are no longer endangered or threatened, but certainly shouldn't fall within the purview of the federal government. Is there any process by which there's a review done periodically of these species to to see if they have been restored or recovered? There's really not. Uh, you know, under under the Endangered Species Act, there is supposed to be a five-year review of the species, but we've learned uh, that that review is rarely done by the Fish and Wildlife Service. And when it does, it's just mostly a rubber stamp of what they've already done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're looking backwards into their file to say, do I agree with what I already decided? <laughs> and in nearly all circumstances, that answer is yes. I am still right, at least in their mindset. And so then the, the, the regulation continues and these species continue to be, you know, uh, regulated uh, in many cases actually having negative consequences towards conse- uh, conservation. So I seem to recall that when the sand dune lizard uh, was being, you know, was the subject of discussion in West Texas, uh, back, when, back when the oil and gas guys termed the entire campaign Uh, to list them erectile dysfunction, no reptile dysfunction. (laughs) This show's rated G, Rob. It's rated G. Uh, I remember there was a complaint by the Permian Basin Petroleum Association that the people who went out there to count these lizards did so, number one, after three years of drought, when the lizard would naturally be at a a lower um, uh, prevalence because there's less water, so you'll see less of them. Number two... During the day, and they said the lizard was nocturnal. Okay, assuming those things are true, um, do you know, uh, can the private sector, can a group like Permian Basin Petroleum Association commission their very own study with, you know, credentialed experts to give countervailing evidence to the feds in an attempt to push that back? Well, as you know, Jackie, it's, it's very expensive in 
putting together, you know, the type of, of credible scientific review and study uh, necessary to refute, you know, the power and pressure of the federal government. And, you know, that's also part of the work of what we're doing at the Texas Public Policy Foundation is in helping to coordinate and build these coalitions to prevent future listings. You're absolutely right. With the Dune Sage Russell Lizard in the Permian Basin back in 2010, you had a coalition come together that collected enough science uh, to be able to avoid having that species listed. But here, just recently, you've had the same environmental groups come back yet again, and mm -hmm. they're making another push. Thankfully, we have good partners with Secretary Zinke, with this administration that respect private property rights. Uh, but it, you know, usually happens in a very unorganized type sense. And in our work with, with TPPF, one of our, our concepts, which sets us aside from others uh, across the nation, is that our litigation work starts at the administrative level. Mm -hmm. And we work in building the record and building the science and building the coalitions to hopefully avoid the federal regulation in the first place. But if it happens, then we have a better record, we have better ammunition to go to court and to seek to have that struck down. And in fact, we're, we've been active in monitoring the lizard situation and working on other species uh, to remove them off of the Endangered Species Act and to remove that, that burden off of the impacted private property owners. We're talking with Rob Henneke. He is the General Counsel and Director of the Center for the American Future at the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin, Texas. All right, Rob, I've kept you for three lengthy segments. You've been very generous with your time, and I appreciate you. Once again, congratulations on this huge win with the Red River landowners. And uh, I will look forward to your next win with the with the spider down in Williamson County. You said March 2nd is your next date? We'll be in court then. And, and Jackie, thank you so much. You've been so supportive of our clients, of our efforts, and helping us to raise attention and awareness of this. And, and I'm just so excited to be able to bring 28 off to a great, 2018 off to a great start with the good news. And there's so much more to come. Happy to assist you all anytime I can, Rob. I'm very proud of you. Send my best to everyone down there at TPPF and tell them I said, good work. Great job. Job well done. Will do. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. We'll take a break.